Greetings, church and friends of the church. Uh, this is the scripture lesson and the sermon from the Valley Forge Presbyterian Church worship service on August 29th, 2021. Uh, as we gather to uh, re further reflect on the wisdom of the Apostle James, one of the earliest Christians um, speaking into the world about what it meant to intentionally implement a Christianity for the sake of uh, reforming and bettering the social order so that life here and now would be more a place of peace as God intends. So this is the part of James that we heard on Sunday. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect and able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pirate, pirate pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great exploits, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. For every species of bird and beast, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father. And with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and curse. And my brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. So uh, we've considered in this series of reflections that we're not just hearers, but doers of the word, that we're faithful when we move from Christian belief to Christian work, work born of love and mercy, work that is free of judgment and partiality, work that we freely choose in faith rather than work we feel legalistically obligated to do. Our Christian work in the world is both word and deed, and so in this episode we considered James' teaching and caution and invitation on the power of words to do good work. So James affirmed, our tongues are like rudders, he wrote that ships, even though they are surrounded by winds that want to push them in all directions, are not actually guided and directed by those winds, ultimately, but by the very small rudder. Despite these outside forces that are not within the pilot's control, or the pirate's control, the pilot can yet guide the ship because the rudder is within her or his control, and it is the rudder which ultimately makes the difference. We are uh, surrounded by winds in our lives trying to push us in different directions. The winds of God are always blowing from, from everlasting to everlasting toward justice and peace. The winds of church doctrines and teachings, the winds of political agendas, the winds of consumerism and materialism, the winds of self-interest and fear are all blowing. So in the midst of all these winds, what ultimately determines the direction that our lives take. James makes the case that our tongues are the rudder that guide the way. Yes, God has a will for all life. 
Yes, religious and political leaders have agendas for our lives. Yes, advertisers and retailers have agendas and hopes for our lives. Yes, we have our own self-focused and often selfish agendas and desires for our own lives. These winds are all blowing. But do these wills and desires ultimately have final power over the course of our lives, or do we have the freedom and the free will to choose the direction of our lives for ourselves? So as we affirmed in the last episode, the human species are creatures of liberty, freedom from obligation to legalistic norms and expectations and laws imposed upon us by others. We are free to choose to live by God's rule of love and peace, but whether we choose the will of God or the will of a religious or political leader or the will of the advertiser or the will of the self, how do we actually then live and act in the direction that we have cho chosen for ourselves and for our lives. We use our words. Words are the rudder that actually put us on that particular course. We use words to tell others who we are, either directly or by inference. I am a Christian and I love my neighbor no matter what says something about who we are. Words like, I believe that God judges that particular neighbor or group of neighbors as inferior or wrong, and therefore I do too, will steer our lives in a different direction. As will words like, I'm an American, and so my concern is only for Americans, or I'm a Republican or a Democrat, and so my concern is only for the party, or my personal liberty allows me the freedom to do what I want, when I want, and how I want, so my concern is only for me and not for you. <clears throat> Or look at my house, my cars, my bank account. These words all point our lives in different directions as they leave our tongues. We use words to mediate our relationships with other people, whether family, friend, stranger, or enemy. <clears throat> we know that kind, loving, supportive, encouraging, empathetic words lead to relationships of mutual concern and peace. We know that words of truth lead to relationships of trust, which help us to feel safe in this world. Those relationships become a solid foundation underneath of us. But words that aren't kind, words that are critical, antagonistic, indifferent, discouraging, negative, lead to relationships of conflict, hurt, and violence. Words of false promises lead to relationships of distrust, which further our fear and anxiety because we don't feel safe. And in the midst of these crossing and competing winds, it's our words that determine the direction that our relationships take. We use words to facilitate the actions that we choose to take, that we decide to take. If we commit our lives to the way of a particular political leader or ideology, then we will use our words in ways that seek to advance their political agendas and narratives. Words of antagonism are used to stir conflict and war, and words of diplomacy and humility are used to nurture peace. Words of slander and prejudice advance certain political goals, whereas compassion, inclusion, acceptance, and love advance other sociopolitical goals. We commit our lives to the way of certain religious dogmatism or legalism, then we 
we'll use our words to advance those legalistic and or religious agendas. We commit our lives to the way of consumerism. We will use our words to do whatever it takes to accomplish our goal of making more money and getting more stuff. And we will use our words to get an advantage over others or to take from them. We commit our lives to the way of generosity. And we will use our words in different ways so that we give of ourselves for the sake of others and encourage the same in others. In the presence of all the winds blowing in every which we have control over the rudder our words, and we use them to navigate through life so that we go in the direction that we choose for our lives. In his gospel, Matthew tells the story of Jesus calling the crowds of people to himself and teaching them this. Listen and understand, he said, it is not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So Jesus in his teachings connected two outwardly observable things with the internal heart, treasure and words. If we want to know who we truly understand ourselves to be in our hearts, then we pay attention to what we treasure and what we speak. The action of treasuring, holding something in, as a priority and then pursuing it. And the words that we speak not only reveal who we are, but they actually determine the shape and direction of our lives by shaping our relationships and our decisions and our actions. And so are we intentionally steering the rudder of our words so that our life moves in that Christian, faithful, God-given justice and peace direction? Or do our words point us in another direction? So James, <clears throat> he names this reality. That the tongue wields great power. He wrote, the tongue is, is a small member, yet boasts great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. So with wildfires that have claimed millions of acres in our own nation and, and so much more around the world, we understand the potential danger of this slightest spark. The, the tiniest of errant embers blown from a dying fire, the lightning strike igniting the tiniest blade of brush or a cigarette butt flicked with no intent to harm that lands in a dry patch. In our homes, we know the potential danger of a lit match carelessly left or a candle unattended or an electrical short. We know that fire can be an incredibly useful tool that can facilitate great good, but we also know that it has this immense power to harm and destroy. In uh, the Proverbs, this collection of wisdom that's resonated as true throughout the ages, we could read this. The words of the mouth have the power of life and death. They can be like deep waters and fountains of wisdom, or they can invite ruin and strife and death. And acknowledging this timeless truth, James teaches words that come from the same mouths, mine, yours, anyone's, can either bless and give life, or they can be a deadly poison that curses. 
He writes with our tongues, with our words. We both bless the Lord and Father and curse those who are made in the image of God. And this ought not be so. It's tempting to use worshipful and faithful words that describe God glory, but then our tongues can reveal that we're serving a different master, whether polegal, political, legalistic, commercialistic, or the self. If whomever we are actually serving demands that we use words that are indifferent, judgmental, exclusive, slanderous, antagonistic toward another, if they aren't words grounded in love for neighbor, then we are using our words to curse. We're wielding the power of the tongue in unchristian and unfaithful ways. We're playing with fire and we are flirting with disaster. And so James cautions, we must seek to bridle our tongues. We know that Jesus never used his words for any reason other than his commitment to God's will uh, being worked out in and through his life. His words brought help, healing, welcome, hospitality, inclusion, love, truth, forgiveness, power, and peace to those with whom he spoke. He used his words to proclaim love and forgiveness of all people. He used them to proclaim the fallacies of the legalism of the Pharisees and, and to proclaim the injustice of the Romans in their occupation. Even the words of Pilate and the scribes uh, condemning him to die, in response, Jesus only used his words to give grace and life to others. And so in the, in the spirit of Christ and seeking to bring this way of Christianity to those in uh, the Colossians, um, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Christians, get rid of all anger and wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth, and stop lying to one another. Bridle your tongue. He told the Ephesians, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Mind your words. Make sure that they're pointing you and your life in the direction of your Christian faith and commitment. He told the Corinthians, everything we do, beloved, is, is for the sake of building up. But I fear that there may, be there may perhaps be quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. These are words that are used in service of another master. And he told the Philippians, do all things without complaining and arguing so that you may be children of God and shine like stars. Our words tell the world who we are. They shape our relationships. They determine our action. And so a central part of the Christian message to the world since its beginnings is to intentionally use words as a tool in service of God's will of moving the world from chaos to peace, from injustice to justice, from division to unity. In our tongue is the power of life and death. If our hearts are truly seeking to, to live for the sake of God's will of justice and peace, if our, if our, if our hearts are truly desiring to participate in Jesus' ministry of ushering in this kingdom on earth and are not seeking uh, the sake of the self 
or are not committed to fearful politics or legalism, consumerism, self-gratification, then we tame our tongues to the best of our ability, with intentionality, so that our words become the rudder that points us in this direction of faithfulness and action. Too many congregations have fires burning within themselves or have started fires in their social circles and families and communities that were sparked by critical, negative, judgmental, legalistic, consumeristic, just plain selfish tongues. Too many who bear the image of God have been cursed instead of blessed by those seeking to follow Jesus. When contemporary researchers have started to ask the question that so many congregations have, which is why aren't more people joining us? Sadly, one of the first, if not the first reason they discover is that as young people grow up in the congregation with listening ears, or as visitors come in from the community with ears wide open, they're not hearing words of love and compassion that give grace. Rather, they hear words that alert them that this is a group of people headed in a different direction than they claim to be headed. And they make the decision that this is not a journey that they are compelled to join. Words have the power of life and death. Words have led to the division and the decline and the death of congregations and their witness in the community. So as James instructs, this ought not be so. If we say that we're Christian and yet our words condone, enable, or perpetuate stereotypes, judgment, hate, racism, oppression, exclusion, nativism, polarization, scapegoating, anger, antagonism, rugged individualism, materialism, etc., 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 that ought not be so. If we say we are Christian and yet our words are words of gossip, slander, conceit, complaint, negativity, attempts to tear someone else or some other group down. This ought not be so. Our words are to be used only for the sake of building up. Now, this can mean constructive criticism. It can mean naming injustices that need to be named and addressed. So we aren't those who are passive and silent in the face of something that stands as an obstacle to God's will of peace and justice in all things. But we have to be so careful to maintain our focus on participating with our words in God's work. For it's often so easy for our words to become tools that we use fearfully or selfishly in service of the self rather than in service of God and neighbor. Whew. Our faith demands that we tame our tongues so that we might use our words to tell the world that we are Christians above and before we are anything else, to tell the world who Jesus really is and what he really taught, to initiate and nurture relationships that are first and foremost relationships of love and hospitality, forbearance, inclusion, and to mediate faithful Christ-like action as God works in and through us in word and deed for the sake of God's will of peace. We know that our words are faithful. We know that our words are truly Christ-like and Christian when they build up and they strengthen our own selves, our families, our communities, our 
congregations in our world. The winds are blowing in all different directions. But with God's help, our words can and will be the rudder that directs us forward in faithfulness. So that we and our work and witness in this community give grace, are built up, and affirm the image of God in every woman, man, and child in this town, in this nation, and in this world. Amen. Uh, I pray that you can humbly and honestly reflect on this invitation from James so that in all things, our loving and Christ-like words point us in the direction of our calling to be peacemakers and those who help God to usher in justice. Be safe. Wear a mask. Please get vaccinated if you haven't yet. Love one another and peace be to all.